Are you glad to be serving the great I am today? Amen. What an amazing thought. You know, I, I've always loved the name of God, Yahweh, because it means I am. It means the self-existent one. I, self-existent, am. And when you think about that, how many of you have, or at least at one point in your life, had biological parents? Okay, I should see a few more hands than that. All right. Of course you of course you did. Why? Because you are not self-existent. Your existence depended on somebody outside of yourself, right? None of you are the great I am. I am not the great I am, but we serve the great I am. Amen? He was self-existent, no one before him. And uh, what a beautiful song to remind us of that. For how quickly sometimes we forget that. We remember that every Sunday, and we sing about it with, with a lot of joy. But sometimes throughout the week, by, by the time Saturday rolls along, we've forgotten. And I am amazed at how quickly we can, we can forget. Aren't you? And how quickly we can forget. My brother Tom, he's a missionary in, in Romania. And uh, he's, he could have been a comedian if he did, had chosen a different route in life. He's just one of those kinds of guys. But he used to say uh, that his memory must be pretty good because he doesn't ever remember forgetting anything. I know, if you let that sink in, that could be a proof of a great memory or a pretty bad one. Right? Uh, he, he also uh, used to say um, that he had a photographic, um, uh, he had a, had a photographic memory, but that he was just usually out of film. So, and all those who were in their like mid twenties or, or less were saying, "What's film?" Right? And we used to put it in the camera. Now, it's, uh, of course, yeah, it's, we 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 have these memories and we forget. Uh, we forget things so quickly, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today, is remembering. Uh, as we continue our journey through Joshua, uh, journey with Joshua, uh, we've now begun what we call the, the journey of faith. And we see how God is b- building the faith of the Israelites throughout this process. Last week, we really talked about three different understandings of faith and where they fit on a spectrum. On, on one side, uh, we have what we call uh, blind faith. Blind faith is the, the, the world's vision of faith. It's the idea that if you just want something really bad and you have faith that it's going to happen, that that's going to change the outcome. But is that what biblical faith is? No. It really isn't. Uh, it really doesn't change. You can want thing, You can want a 1969 Ferrari 250 GT California, but you'll still drive the 1988 Oldsmobile or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's the way that our, what our desires are don't necessarily change the outcome. Of things. On the other side, uh, there's uh, faith that, uh, that we call skepticism, which is really the lack of faith. Skepticism is when we say, I will only believe once proof, once proof is presented to me. If there's proof, I will, I will believe it. Is that what God calls us to? No. No. Does he ever ask us to take steps of faith? He sure does. But in the middle between these, we have biblical faith. And biblical faith is that reasonable faith. And it's reasonable because God has proven himself trustworthy in the past. So as we move to the future, we know we can take steps of faith, even without proof. Why? Because we're trusting in a reliable God, the great I am. Amen? Amen. This week, then, uh, as we think about that, we saw last week how biblical faith was played out in the, in the crossing of the Jordan. 
And now we're going to see something odd that God asked them to do. If you remember uh, when we showed the chiastic structure like three weeks ago about the whole story of the, the crossing of the Jordan, there were, there were things leading up to the miracle. Last week we hit the miracle, and now we're looking at how do we follow up on that miracle. So it's actually the third time in these two chapters that the Bible goes back through and retells the story of the crossing of the Jordan. But this time with the focus on how, we're, how we should respond, how we should uh, react so uh, today, the title of the message is The Stones of Remembrance. The Stones of Remembrance. Let's look at uh, Joshua chapter 4 together. We'll read the first seven verses. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Verse 4. Then Joshua called the twelve men from, uh, or whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So God asks Joshua to do something a little bit strange. And has 12 men pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and take them to the other side with them. And, uh, and he asked them to do this. But you know what? There, there's some concepts in here that we find in this story that should bring up some, some things that they have learned from the past. Because, you know, this is not the first time that we read about 12 stones in Scripture and what they represent. Um, again, it's that, that tapestry where certain themes will keep popping back up, and we see that a lot of times in Joshua, little things that come popping back up, things from the past, and they'll pop back up again in the future, uh, but we see that again here with this concept of 12 stones, and what, they, what the 12 stones represent. If we go all the way back to uh, Exodus chapter 28, we find the first mention of, the, of 12 stones, and I want you to see the connection between this concept in Exodus 28 and what we find here in Joshua chapter 4. We find the 12 stones uh, referring to what we call the breastplate of judgment. Remember the priests had very specific garments that they were told to wear. And God was very specific in how he wanted this done. And as the, the high priest would go before the Lord, he would have to wear this breastplate of judgment with the 12 stones. Let's, uh, let's read there. I'll put it up on the screen if you'd like or you can follow along and in uh, your translation, uh, uh, your, your uh, scriptures that you have before you, if you'd like as well. But we're going to be in Exodus uh, 28, and I'll read 15, verses 15 to 21. You shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven. According to the workmanship of the, uh, the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stone in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. 
This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, uh, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. I feel sorry for the interpreter for that moment. Sorry about that. <laughs> Continues in verse 21. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. So what we find here is that the twelve stones represented the twelve different tribes of Israel, right? What do we find in Joshua chapter 4? Twelve men, each from a different tribe of Israel, carrying twelve stones. Do you see some of the connections that are going on between these two stories? And, and we see that, that the stones, when there are twelve together, the, the, the purpose was to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. What does that mean? Let's uh, skip ahead to verse 29 in the same passage. It says, So Aaron shall bear the name of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So we, we see that there's a purpose behind having these 12 things that, that is served as a memorial uh, to God and to, men, and, to, and to Aaron, the priest. So Aaron would go into the high place. What was the purpose of the priest going into the high place? To restore that relationship that was lost because of sin. That relationship that was lost between God and man. And God created this system with a with high priest like Aaron who would come in and be a mediator between God and man. And as he would do that, he was representing not just himself, but who was he representing? Everyone. He was representing all of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now we have a, a different high priest today. Who is the high priest today? Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. And Jesus Christ as our mediator represents all of the people of God, not just himself. He didn't die on the cross for himself. He died on the cross for us. Amen. And, uh, and so we see that concept all the way back into the, into the book of Exodus. So what was the purpose? The purpose of the breastplate of judgment. First, it, it, the purpose was as a memorial. It was to help us remember something. That's what a memorial is. When we have a memorial, it's because too frequently we forget. When you think of every memorial that exists, not just in the United States, but anywhere on the planet, exists Why? Because they want to say something important happened here. There was a life lived. Something happened. And we don't want to forget about that. Right? And we have memorials set up for that. Uh, secondly, uh, they were to remember their identity as the 12, 12 chosen tribes of Israel. They were to remember who they were. As, as Aaron would bring forth uh, the... the the sacrifices, and he would go through the, the sacrificial process. He would come into the holy place. He was representing the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel. And who were the 12 tribes of Israel? They were the, the recipients of God's mercy and grace. That was the whole point of that process. So he would take their sins before the Lord. And did the Lord have to forgive those sins? Uh, no, he mercifully forgave the sins of the people of Israel. That, that moment uh, when the high priest would, would do that, it, this was that moment of reconciliation between God and man. 
We don't deserve to be reconciled to God, do we? But God chose to reconcile us to him. And we're recipients of mercy, recipients of grace. And that's what we find. And uh, So I, we're going to have four lessons today. Lesson number one, lessons from the stones of remembrance. Lesson number one is this. Remember where you came from and your new identity. Remember where you came from and your new identity. When I say remember where you came from, I'm not talking about your geographical location. And, you know, people say, oh, I, you know, I came from Detroit, so I'm going to remember my roots. No, it's not about that. It's, remember where you came from when, when, in this context. is Remember who you were, and then, then remember what God has made you. Remember who you were, and then remember what God has made you. You know, in Ephesians 4, 17, we find uh, Paul giving a, 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 a very graphic description of who we were. In verse 17, uh, chapter 4, he wrote, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Two words stick out there for me. No longer. What does that imply? That we used to do it this way. We used to live this way. Uh, this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk in the way, excuse me, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Graphic description of, of the unregenerate life. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, toward all uncleanness and greediness. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. What's he saying? You haven't learned Christ this way. This is something completely different. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct. Interesting there, your former conduct. That's what we're to put off. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When we look back and we see who we were, and we see what God has saved us from, what does that do for our future? When we recognize who we are in Christ, our new identity in Christ. So we no longer live like we used to live. We can now live with a renewed mind and focused in the right direction. Do you think it's helpful to look back at your past? And remember where you were? You know, Paul did it. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul said, I, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Do you think remembering the past helped Paul live with a future mindset? Be able to live in that day-to-day, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith, as he puts it in another place. Uh, why? Because he was, able to, he was able to look at the past and see what God did to change him. Amen? Amen. He remembered his past. Um, so that he can strive for the future.
So, so see the value of remembering who you were. And it helps us to appreciate our new identity in Christ. And that we are recipients of grace and mercy. In fact, we find both of those words right here in this context in 1 Timothy 1. Uh, he said in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. We see, uh, we see that in verse 13, we see uh, where he obtained what? Mercy. You know, mercy and faith are really two sides of the same coin. The coin is God's goodness. Mercy is when we don't, res- we don't receive something that we do deserve. And that's good. Grace is when we do receive something that we don't deserve. And that it's good. Two sides of the same coin. And you know what we don't deserve? Heaven. We do deserve hell. Do we not? But we don't have to go to hell. And we get to go to heaven if we place our faith in him. Are you a recipient of God's mercy and grace today? If you are, then that should change the way we look at life. And that, that changes our identity um, and who, who we are in Christ. I'd also like to look, we, uh, we've looked at, uh, at, at so one thing, we've looked really at the, the uh, concept of 12 stones, but now I want to look at something different. So our first lesson was to remember where you are, or where you came from, and uh, what your new identity is. Now I want to look at where the location of the 12 stones is, because I find this very interesting. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, <clears throat> chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I'll read those together. Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying... Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with, the, uh, uh, with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. This goes right back to the miracle that we talked about last week. Uh, where did he ask them to get the stones from? He, from the midst of the Jordan. That might not sound like a, uh, a huge thing, but remember, in flood stage, this is what the, the middle of the Jordan looks like. And they went across and stood on dry ground. God stopped the waters, flooded all the way up the Jordan River, all the way up to the town of Adam, and and they walked across on dry ground. What an amazing thing, what God had done. This is what it normally looks like, and this is what it looked like that day. So they were able to walk across on dry ground. Not only did God stop the waters, but they were able to walk on dry ground. Even if you stopped the waters on day one, do you realize what the bottom of the river would be like? But, but that's nothing for God. That's nothing. And when you think of him, how he created the world, all he had to do is speak the universe into, into existence. He's the great I am. He doesn't need anything to uh, cause him to be existent. But he can speak and, and things just exist like that. And we realize that the greatness, just the greatness of our God. Lesson number two, that brings us to, and that's remember what God has done and what he can do. See, when we remember what God has done, that helps us realize what he can do. Because when we're going on in the Christian life and, and all of a sudden an obstacle, come, obstacle comes in our way, what happens? Oh, we, we forget and we fear and we're afraid. We saw this in the life of Israel. We walked through it uh, about a month ago where the first time an obstacle comes, oh no, there's no water, what do we do? Oh, we're going to die. Oh, there's no food. Oh, the, now the water, it's not sweet water. It's bitter water. Oh, what are we going to do? And the Lord would provide. And, oh, now we're hungry. And each time they would rely on themselves and realize they didn't have the answers. They, they would come across an obstacle. And then God would have to say, no, watch. I'll show you. I, I can do it. 
And you'd think they would catch on, right? You'd think they would understand and eventually say, oh, another obstacle. Hey, Lord, what are you going to do with this one? But is that what they did? It isn't. But before we point too many fingers at the people of Israel, let's point a few fingers inwardly for a moment. How many times have we hit an obstacle, maybe even within the last day, week, month? How many times have we come across an obstacle in life and we threw up our, hand, our hands and thought, oh no, what's going to happen? If we're honest, how many of us would honestly say, yeah, I've fallen into that this, this, this year? I'm, I notice my hands up. <laughs> yes, we do. So before we point too many fingers at them, realize we, we are just like them sometimes. We forget. Oh, how quickly we forget. But if we remember what God has done, then we will, be, we will have the courage when we face those obstacles because we'll know what he can do. Amen. And I should hear a few more amens to that. Is there any, amen. any other amens out there? <laughs> it's true. When we see what God has done, we see how God has just cut the rivers off and, and, and you know what, I would love to have a night where we just come together. Maybe we'll do that some Sunday night, just have a testimony night. Have everyone come and just share testimonies of how the Lord has worked in their lives. And, and, and see, and just tell stories and remember the past. Remember what God has done. And what he can do. You know, by nature, we tend to forget things. And in fact, that's why in Deuteronomy 6.12, we read, Then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Why do you think God had to remind them that uh, they had to be careful not to forget? Because they're forgetful. They're people. They're human beings. In fact, it only took two chapters later before he had to say it again. Before, or beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest... When you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful homes and dwell in them, what is, what is Moses' point in Deuteronomy? He's saying, the moment that things start going well, then what's going to happen? You're going to forget. And how many times do we pray, Lord, I'm in, a, I'm in a predicament and I need your help, and God just showers his blessing on us, and then we start thinking, hey, I've set up myself a pretty good life. You know, and we start feeling confident because of the life that we've built up ourselves. We forget. We see, that we're, we see that cycle in the very next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, we see that same cycle seven times, where, where things are going, right, or going great. We have this period of, of peace. You could say shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. It's a period of shalom. And then they sin. They fall into sin at that moment. Why? Because they forget who gave them everything that they have. They fall into sin and then they need someone to save them. And, and you find this cycle taking them through the process until they, they throw their hands up and say, we need, we need help. And the Lord in his mercy sends a, a judge. He sends someone to rescue them. And we find that cycle seven times uh, that we read about it, that in the book of Judges. Why? God knew. We are forgetful people. In Proverbs 4, uh, uh, verses 4 and 6, it says, He also taught me, said to me, let your heart retain my words. What does that mean to retain? To not forget them, to keep them as part of you. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, for she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. We must not forget. Did you know that the most used command in Scripture, the most used command in Scripture is a positive one, and it is remember. You know, that's used more than any other mandate in Scripture. 
And you know what the second most used mandate in Scripture is? It's a negative one. Anyone got any ideas? Do not forget. Does God know us or what? He knows us. He knows that we forget. And so he, he wanted them to make sure. So God set up things in place so that we would not forget. And, uh, and, and so that we could, could keep our focus where it needs to be. So remember what God has done and what he can do. Because remembering will help us to maintain our, our, our status of being grounded in God's, in God's word. Grounded in our faith in God. And that's really what uh, point number two is. I want to look now uh, to the purpose of the 12 stones. The purpose of the 12 stones we find in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 4. So let's, let's look at those again. Uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each of you take up the stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 6, So that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant. Of the Lord. I'll stop there. Um, so we see the purpose of this. Um, the purpose of it was to be a, a sign or a memorial. Um, the word, the Hebrew word for this is masalah. We're going to teach you a little Hebrew word today. That's all right. It's, the word is masalah. What it literally means is a standing stone. A standing stone basically is when you take a stone that, and stones by nature fall down to the most restful position, right? And stones by nature. So when you stand up a stone in some kind of a, of a way, then that tells you something. So I have a picture of, a, of some standing stones up here. We find standing stones all through history, all throughout the geographical known world, right? And we see everything from Stonehenge to, uh, to, to different kinds of monuments. And, and, uh, and, and so the word literally means a standing stone. The idea, the simple concept here, the idea is that it's, it's not natural. It's not natural for stones to stand up. So when we find this, this uh, word masaba in the Hebrew scriptures, it's a standing stone. It's something that some outside force had to happen to make it happen. Somebody came and stood them up. My wife and I uh, visited her, uh, her brother uh, one time in, in Hawaii. So you can see why we wanted to visit him there. And, uh, and so we visited him and we went on a hike and uh, we were going right along the, the ocean there. And what did we find? We found these stones that were just perfectly balanced. They were, it's about this tall. Stones, just perfectly balanced. And, uh, um, and they were smooth stones, so it wasn't an easy task. So we were able to look at that, and immediately we knew what? This isn't an accident. Somebody took the time, and they came here and made this happen. And so what did it do? It caused curiosity. We wanted to know, well, who did that and why? And how did they do it? It causes curiosity. That's part of the purpose of a masaba. The part of the purpose of, of, a, of the standing stone is so that when people walk by, they say, wow, what's that? That's different. And what's this all about? And you point to it and, and you ask questions and then people can say, oh, this is what it's about. I'll tell you, this is what God did. God cut off the waters of the Jordan River. Look what he did. Amazing. And, uh, and that way, we, we begin to uh, to have recollection of what God did. Without the ma- masava, 
many times we would just forget. Do you think it would be possible to even forget that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins? Do you think it's possible for people to forget that? It is. That's why Jesus set up a masalah. Right? He set up an ordinance. And a week from today, I believe, yes, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be partaking in the Lord's Supper. It's a sense, it's a masalah. It's, it's a chance for us to say, what is this about? It, oh, this is what it's about. And, and we point to what it, it's, it's a symbol of, and it causes us to remember. And we can reflect back on what Jesus Christ did. It's an important concept. So the, the standing stones in, in Hebrew, uh, the word masava, uh, it became very popular. Let's fast forward a, a, a several centuries. And it's when the world was mainly speaking, uh, their, their number one language was Greek. By this point in time, there were still masavas or Hebrew masavos. There were, there were uh, standing stones all over, but they didn't call them standing stones. The Greeks called them living stones. The reason they called them living stones is because they felt they gave a living testimony of something that had, was, had happened in the past. I want to show you just one more reference of a living stone that we find in the New Testament Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. says, Coming to him, talking about Jesus in the context, coming to him as to a living stone, Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Let me just stop there for a moment. The Bible is comparing Jesus to what? A living stone. Well, what's a living stone? It's, it's something that's, that is, how do we put it? We put it, it's not natural. Some outside source had to make that happen. Think about it. Uh, imagine living in a day when Jesus Christ was, was alive and he's living and he's, he sinned zero times. Have you ever met someone like that? I mean, if you ever think you have, then you've met someone who really knows how to hide, right? Because every one of us, we sin. And here, to see a man who every time responded properly, every time uh, gave credit to God where, 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 when it was due, every time... Uh, re responded properly to every situation in his life. And if that weren't enough, they crucified him for it. But he didn't stay dead. Within three days, on the third day, stones rolled away, and he rose from the grave. I don't know about you, but there's no greater masava than Jesus Christ. There is no greater living stone than Jesus Christ. Any other religion, any other religious leader, you can go, you can find his grave, you can find his bones, but Jesus Christ you won't find, right? Because he rose from the grave. That's not natural. It causes curiosity. And people can say, wait a minute, how did that happen? And that's where we come in and we can tell people, oh, I'll tell you what happened. God raised him from the dead because he died on the cross to pay for your sins and for my sins. And it gives us an opportunity to tell people about the, the good news of salvation. Amen. Jesus is that living stone. Verse 5, look at this, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the living stone, but what does he call us? He calls us living stones. Hopefully, the world would look at you and say, that's not natural. <coughs> If you're saved today, then you are a standing stone. The world should be able to say, something's not right with that person. <laughs> People say that about me. 
I don't think that's what they mean sometimes. Right? Oh. To say, this person, something is not right with this person. I was talking to someone, I uh, had, had coffee with someone uh, uh, earlier last week who was telling me a story about his son who was a believer and, uh, and that they nicknamed him. They were, he, was working, he was in, uh, I forgot which branch of the service, but, uh, but he, was working, he was in the service and his friends started calling him T-Bar. Finally, I was asked, well, why, why did you call him T-Bar? Well, it stands for, this boy ain't right. <laughs> right? T-Bar. I love that. I love that story. Why? Because we should live our lives in such a way where people say, this isn't right. And, and when they were saying that, this boy ain't right, why? It's because he wasn't involved in a lot of the things that they were doing, the things that, that the world does for entertainment. He was faithful. He was, he was uh, in God's word. He was doing the things that are right instead of participating in all that the world had to offer. Isn't that the way we should, we should live our lives? Amen. To where people say, you know what? There's some outside force responsible for this. You know, when I was in Costa Rica the last time, I met a family that started going to the church there, and, and I went to their house, and I'm talking with them, and I said, what brought you? What did God use to bring you to Christ? And he said, my neighbor. I said, my neighbor, I it was a businessman, and I've known him my whole life. He was very sharp, but shrewd. He could trick people into to buying things. He could, he could convince an Eskimo to buy ice. Right? You've heard that saying? He said, but I have seen him over the last four or five years, and he has changed. I figured only God could do that. And God wasn't changing people at my church. He went to a Catholic church. So God wasn't changing people there. So he went to Roca Viva to see what was happening there. And God got a hold of his heart and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm telling you, what, there's nothing, there's no better testimony than seeing a masava, than seeing a living stone, someone that people say, wow, that's what I want. People need to see that. They need to get involved in our lives. They need to see those changes. Lesson number three, remember to pass our faith, to pass on our faith from one generation to the next. Remember to pass our faith on from one generation to the next. As it said in verse, uh, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. We need to live our lives in such a, uh, such a way that they ask the questions that the next generation is always asking the questions saying, how did you do that? And we should always have the answer, and the answer points them back to God. Amen? Amen. We don't say, well, you know, our generation's the best. No, no, no. It's God is responsible for everything good that has ever happened in, in our lives. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. It says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. So this verse connects to everything we've been talking about. It says, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children... And to your grandchildren. The idea is we, we've got to take the truth of God's word and we've got to show the next generation what it is, what's real. And not just the next generation, but the generation after that. How many of you here are grandparents? Okay. A lot of you are grandparents. You know, your responsibility did not end when your youngest one turned 18. Amen? It's your responsibility to take the, the gospel, pass it on to the next generation, and, and pass it on to the generation after that. And it, it, 
And that's how the, the truth of God's word stays alive. And we pass it on from one generation to the next. So how did Israel do? How did Israel do? Let's, look, let's, let's read verses 8 through 18 to see how, how the children of Israel did. And the children of Israel, Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and there they are to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of all the people. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. You see what's happening here? The fear of the Lord that existed in the previous generation was now beginning to take root in the next generation. Because they were able to see and point to God with this whole event, you see that everything depended upon the presence of the Ark of, of, of the Covenant. If they had tried to cross on their own, they would fail. But because of the presence of God, they were able to succeed. And they were beginning to grasp this concept. And we're seeing faith. We're seeing faith transferred from one generation to the next. It continues in verse 15. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the Ark of the Testimony to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass that when the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land that, was, um, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. How did Israel do? They got it. This generation, they got it. They, they began to understand these concepts, and they, and they realized that God is the center. If we follow Him, it doesn't matter what we're going through. Even if it's through a river. And, and they saw that happening. Let's continue to read verse 19 just to finish up the rest of the chapter. Verse 19 through 24. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers... In times to come, saying, what are, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you, before you until you had crossed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See what he's doing? He's connecting the Red Sea to the Jordan River to future generations. So that they all people through all time would recognize. You know, you, you see really two purposes in here. You see, why did all this happen? Number one, he, he said, so that the peoples of the earth might know the Lord's power. 
and also so that God's people may fear the Lord forever. And it'd be very, very easy to just focus on the second part. If we think about passing, passing the truth, passing our faith on to the next generation, we sometimes just think about our own children. But he's not just saying to your own biological children. He's saying, as the, your children, as the next generation comes and asks, you are to give it. You are to give them the, the truth. That you are to tell them the purpose of these stones. The, the, the idea is that you're really taking it to the next whole generation. Whether you have children or don't have children, it is part of your responsibility to pass your faith on to the next generation. Amen? Amen. So whether God has blessed you with children or not, that's not the point. The point is that we pass it on. Because he goes on and he says that the purpose, according to verse 24, is that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord and that it is might. You see that? It's not just about keeping our little Christian club and making sure that we raise just our children, but it's about us becoming the Matzavah. Kind of like it said in, in, in 1 Peter, that, that we become living stones so that the world can look at us and say, that's what we need. Amen. We need what they have. That brings us to the fourth and final point. Remember to pass on our faith to a lost world. Remember to pass on our faith to a lost world. God saved us so that we could reach other people. Have you ever wondered why God when doesn't just say, hey, you know what, heaven is a whole lot better than earth, and you're, you accepted Jesus Christ, come on up. He left us here with a purpose. We are to be living stones, living testament of who God is and what he's done. And that's why we're still here. And, and, and we ought to be thankful for whatever day or whatever breath God has given us, whether it's a short lifespan or whether it's a long lifespan. But this life has a purpose. And it has very little, nothing to do with how comfortable we can make this life. It has everything to do with telling others about God so that they could join us in eternity. Amen? Amen. The, the application for that is simple. Be a standing stone. Be the standing stone. So that others will look at your life and see God. So what about you today? What about you? First, how does your knowledge of God's power affect the way you live? In light, in light of everything that God has done in the past, in light of everything that God has done, maybe in your own life, is that affecting the way you live your life or have you forgotten? I mean, it's so easy sometimes as Christians. Some of you have been saved for decades. Anyone here been saved for more than three decades? Yeah. But sometimes we can, we can be so far removed from who we used to be that it is hard to look back and actually think of who we used to be. And then we, we lose the gratitude for our new identity in Christ. Don't let that happen. In light of who he has or what, how, has, how God has revealed himself to you in the past, is that affecting the way you live today? Is it affecting who you are today? Do you really fear Him for who He is? Second question. How does your identity in Christ affect your life? Not just who you were, but thinking who you are today. Just like the people of Israel. They were the 12 tribes, the 12 chosen tribes of Israel. Whether it's the 12 stones represented 
uh, uh, and when the priests would go and offer the sacrifices to the Lord, or whether it's the 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel in the middle of the Jordan River. They were the God's chosen people. You know what? If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're His chosen. You are recipients of God's mercy and grace. But have you been conforming more and more to the image of Christ? Because if you've accepted Jesus Christ, then that's what he's going to do for you. That's what Romans 1 uh, 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 talks about, right? About conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the, the destination that he has for each of us. And I was talking to a pastor, a friend of mine in, uh, in Hart, Michigan. And uh, he was very concerned. He said he realized there were some in his church that had been saved for decades, but in their journey of faith, in their journey of selflessness, boy, they just haven't come very far. And he said uh, the, probably the number one example of this was, was in his own office. He had a secretary who had been there for longer than he had been there, but just seemed to be a bitter woman and selfish. Everything had to be kind of her way. Her, her, everything was her, her way. Or she would complain and gripe or gossip. And he gave her a book. It's a book uh, by Platt uh, called Follow Me. And as she started reading through that book, she realized that she never had genuinely accepted Christ to begin with. And she had somehow mistaken in there the, the, this concept of uh, being really conservative, which is good, but... She, she thought that was spirituality, but spirituality is so much more than that, isn't it? It's about that, that daily dying to yourself and giving yourself to Christ, conforming yourself more and more to the image of Christ. That she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior after decades of serving in the church. And you know what? The pastor told me there's been a 100% turnaround. And he gave me permission to share that story because she wants that story shared. And she wants to know how God has changed her life. And you know what? She is a living stone. She's a living stone. I don't know where, where you're at today. I don't know uh, where, where you're at. But I don't want you to think that just because you've been in church for a lot of time means that this part doesn't apply to you. I want you to genuinely search your soul and say, Lord, did I make that decision to accept Jesus Christ? Not just as my Savior, but as my Lord. Meaning I'm going to become more and more like Him. And I'm going to let my new identity change who I am. If it hasn't changed your identity, then maybe it wasn't real to begin with. The next question, how will you pass your faith on to the next generation? What is going to be your role in passing your faith on to the next generation? I was thrilled this week. A man came into the office and he said, Pastor Dave... You know, last week we talked about taking that step of faith. He said, I feel like the Lord has been telling me to do something. And it was a very evangelistic effort. And uh, uh, he is going to be taking some brochures for the church and inviting people in, a, in the complex. Not far from here. Uh, of, uh, of, there's, I don't know how many people in that, uh, in that apartment complex right behind us. But he's going to go to every single one of them. His goal is to put an invitation in all of their hands to come here to church. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Because it's when we say, I'm going to take my role, whatever it might be, and I'm going to pass my faith on to the next generation. I want to, I want to challenge you. What is your role? 
What has God been telling you to do? What is your role in passing your faith on to the next generation? And lastly, what are you going to do to pass your faith on to the lost world? There are people that need Jesus Christ all around us in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Amen? Amen. I want to challenge you. And I don't want you to walk out of here today without answering those questions between you and God. If you need to have a conversation in just a moment with God, then I'll invite you. You can come up here and you can have a conversation with God from your seat. You can have a conversation with God right up here. Uh, but let him know what you're going to do, what you're willing to do for him, and begin that conversation with God. But also I want, I want those who maybe are reflecting today and saying, you know what, I'm not 100% sure I do know that if I die today, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. I don't know for sure if I've ever really made that commitment to God. And I want you to come and talk to me. I'll stand right up here as we sing together in just a few moments. But I want you to know, you do not have to leave today without knowing that.